This episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Oakley. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not just the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. going on Knicks fans and welcome to another episode of cap rules everything around me cream get the money dollar dollar bills y'all I am your host Jeremy Cohen I'm really glad to be back here doing this again it's been too long right it's been too long since we talked about basketball just just me and you all gathering around having some fun so excited to do this obviously we'll talk about various things that I'm sure will come up like Chris Paul being waived, maybe what that means, other machinations and thoughts that everyone has. But I wanted to just start off today, like I usually start off episodes of Cream, where I talk about the one big thing. And I've been kind of kicking around what I'm going to say, what kind of is coming to my mind. And I eventually landed with, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you because I put together the cap or no cap that I'm sure many of you saw. And it took hours of work. It was a lot of fun for me to do, but sometimes it was really frustrating on my end. And I was really grateful with the reaction because I knew going into it, look, how am I going to position where there's this player, really two players on the Knicks, one who is certainly more loved than the other one, and talking about their places not being here. And fandom is completely emotional. There's certainly some, I shouldn't say completely, it's emotional, right? It's our natural instinct, but there also has to be some thought behind it sometimes. And certainly if you come to Nick's film school, you're comfortable with the thought behind it and you enjoy maybe going more in depth than other areas might. And so I I didn't go into it with this idea of, yeah, let's see how we can get Zach Levine to the Knicks, right? Just, this is the data. These are some common overlaps and everything. This is how it can work and go from there. And the reception that I had was really awesome. Even if you want nothing to do with Zach Levine, I really appreciated those who reached out and said, look, I get it. I see where you're coming from. That's all I want. I know I'm, I'm in a position of influence and I don't want to try to like misuse information. That's never the intention, but it's just kind of looking at, okay, again, this isn't necessarily what I would do, but it's what they're doing and how we can track it and then see from there. So, you know, even if you were on board with it, even if you were completely against it, it was, it was an awesome experience to do. And a lot of you reached out and it was really cool to see like, yeah, you know, I can't believe Jeremy is making me interested in Zach Levine. So again, like that, wasn't my intention, but it happened and it was really cool. But another reason, just to peel back the curtain really quickly, another reason I was really appreciative of the support, no one else would really know this. We actually, my, my, uh, my family, we put down our dog today and the last week and a half, really kind of week, it seemed like it was getting to that point. You know, she was 19 years old. She had a really great run. We had her for 15 years, but 
it was those words of encouragement that were happening during the time where it just meant a lot. It was nice in a really down week with other things happening too, to just get that kind of response. So um, enough about me. Thank you again. I look forward to doing more of these. we got more on the books. We're going to get these questions in and uh, let's get rolling. If we have anything, let's do it. First one. Perfect. Uh, who else? Who else would it be than Mr. Robert Cross himself? Robert Cross. Good evening, Captain Kickball. I have really been enjoying cap or no cap this offseason. I can't thank you enough. Hashtag 53 wins. That is very kind of you, Robert. Thank you. I know it was not easy to write that considering some of the tweets I've seen from you just about how the Knicks would rue the day that RJ Barrett is traded. So uh, I appreciate even if you see it differently, how we're able to have this dialogue and, and uh, I appreciate that level of respect. So thank you, Robert. Next, we have Drew P. Thoughts on Levine having problems with being the second option behind DeMar. I don't think he'll be fine being the second or third option here, nor his relationship with Tibbs, his knees dealing with Tibbs. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. I feel as though, and, and this was something that I tried to do with the podcast, but couldn't get a full grasp of because of how long we'd just been talking. And I was trying to cut corners somewhere. So like, I don't get the sense that these players go into it of, I'm the first option. You're the second option. This person's the third option. It can be very flexible. I think the it didn't pan out for obvious reasons that we know, but the 2021-22 team, right? The mindset was, hey, there are nights where someone's going to get this, someone's going to get that, and we're cool with it. Didn't work, as I mentioned, but it's still, okay, cool. If you have these offensive focal, focal points, you can find success there. I think what where Jalen Brunson thrived, for example, was he's the type of person who he doesn't need to take that major step forward uh, in the sense of he needs to be the guy, right? Like in the playoffs, he takes it upon himself because he's that good. But regular season, of course, it can be more of let me set the table for others to succeed. And I hadn't necessarily heard problems with DeMar and Zach Levine in terms of sharing usage. Um Maybe it exists. And if it does, I, I'm certainly eager to read up on it, but it doesn't feel like that's necessarily the situation here, uh, at least how it would potentially be if you had Levine and Brunson and still had Randall. Um, I understand the apprehension towards Levine wanting to be a second or third option. But again, I think it's, it's all about acceptance of roles where Levine has been put into these places often where he just hasn't had the best talent around him. And if you have players around you that are, I, like, I, again, DeMar DeRozan, he's not a point guard. He, he can handle the, the ball, absolutely. But the way Chicago is running, they didn't really have much of a point guard. Even Lonzo Ball, or uh, we may disagree on this, but to me, Lonzo is, when, when healthy, of course, elite in terms of a transition offense, but he's not going to be hey, let's set up a half-court offense, dribble drive, penetration, and, and do that. He, he's very good with spot-up shooting. I mean, to me, Lonzo would really be more of Grimes with handles. I, again, not more role as opposed to like the player themselves. Um, but that's kind of the mindset. So if, if you're Zach Levine, does life come easier to you? And if life is coming easier to you, does that make your job easier? And if it makes your job easier, are you more comfortable in the role that you're in? All these different questions. Um, and again, I think there is the factor of how does Randall fit into this? And my prevailing thought leaving uh, the podcast with John was, okay, yeah, I mean, look, in a perfect world, if the Knicks are getting Zach Levine, 
they do not have Julius Randle there because it would make more sense for someone else to mask the defensive um, shortcomings, so to speak, that their backcourt might have or two of their three smaller players might provide. But then it's the question of, okay, well, if you are stuck with Randall here and by stuck, I mean, they're kind of cool with being in limbo for a year as they make change after change. What does that mean for the rest of the roster? And that's where I wonder if they keep adding more defensive minded players in there, but it's all moving pieces as for the knee. Yeah. I mean, I get the, I get the concern again. He missed five games. He missed fewer games this past year than RJ Barrett did. Obviously RJ's injury was more of a freak finger injury. So I'm not trying to compare one player's injury track record to another, but more in the sense of, I just, you know, it seems like, and it's not to say Drew, I don't know where your head's at, but for example, if you're the type of person who really wants Kristaps Porzingis back, but you're against Zach Levine, I'm a little curious about where your head is at, but in terms of where Zach Levine is as an athlete, yes, he does depend a lot on his athleticism and that is certainly impacted by how his knees are, but he's also a great shooter. You know, like I kind of have gone through the process in the past of if you have a player and you took away the thing that made them great, what else could they do? But that's not really fair because what makes them great is what makes them great. Like that's why they are great. So yeah, I mean, I would imagine the knee would lead to somewhat of a diminishing return potentially, but also it's it, it's the sort of thing where he and he logged a lot of time, a lot of time in Chicago. So I understand the the concern with Levine and Tibbs and the knee, but it's it's not like he was sitting out a bunch last year. He was very healthy and very durable. So I think it's just looking at that situation putting it here and again it, it kind of goes off of off narratives like i tibbs in terms of playing his guys yeah he has that streak to him but i thought he did a much better job last year it was the year before that where it's like really you can't get any other players in there so i think he's certainly adapted and i credit the front office as well to pushing him in the direction they need it to be so case in point uh drew it's not that i have zero concern whatsoever i certainly do have worries about it if it were a slam dunk we wouldn't really be debating it. But with that said, I, I'm not as worried as I think other fans might be, but still worried, 100%. So thank you for the question. Uh, Luke Shamon, thank you for the Super Chat contribution. What's your CP3 fit as a Lowry-type piece? Uh, Clippers, Lakers, Celtics, Bucks, Knicks, Mavericks, no Kyrie stand out to me. Teams with capable ball handlers take burden off of him. So let's take a step back in terms of with Chris Paul, he has not been waived yet. He's got, I think it's like a $30.8 million contract and $14.8 million guaranteed. So there's some options here. If the Suns waive him outright, there's the dead cap of $14.8 million, but then they can re-sign him for cheap. This would give them an opportunity to use an exception. Um, and they could try to do more around the margins and they were going to non-guarantee his $30 million contract the next year anyway, which was fully non-guaranteed. So might as well. So he could do that. He could be, he could be waived and then go to another team, like any of the teams that Luke mentioned. Uh, he could be waived and stretched. If he's waived and stretched, he cannot return to Phoenix. He'd have to go somewhere else. So what I would imagine, and this is essentially what I believe Shams was saying, that over the next month, they're going to, before the deadline, figure out avenues for Chris Paul. If they can trade him, they will trade him. If they, you know, for the right package, if they can just waive him, then 
they'll do that and they'll try to bring him back. I think the Lakers are a natural example if he doesn't stay with the Suns, but I also think that they wouldn't have included Chris Paul in the conversation for who he would, and I believe they did, for who they would want to be head coach and Frank Vogel being there. So it just seems kind of odd to me that he would just be gone where they don't have a point guard option. They don't have a ton of money to sign one. And Cameron Payne is just not a suitable starting point guard. I mean, you could say maybe with how Chris Paul plays or, you know, like that he isn't, he is, he still is a suitable starting point guard. It's just, he misses time. He gets older. It impacts you in the playoffs. So I'd expect him to stay if he's just waived, if he's traded. I mean, he's traded. It's whatever. I always kind of wondered my fake trade was if you're the Suns and you want to move Chris Paul, you want to get someone who's a little bit more durable, but also kind of get more bang for your buck. It wouldn't really be Malcolm Brogdon, but there's an argument to be made of, okay, you've got Brogdon for less uh, this year. Um, throwing a gallon hour salary. But again, I don't think this is going to happen. It's more just the Celtics are clearly missing some sort of edge to them. And I think Chris Paul brings that. I just don't think it's with this type of move. It would also be a salary cutting move where this year for the Celtics, you'd then say, Hey, we don't have to worry about Malcolm Brogdon's contract in 2024, which is when we'd pay Jalen, uh, Jalen Brown, assuming we keep him. So it would have been a nice way to get the money off the books there. But at the end of the day, you know, how many teams do want to trade for Chris Paul earning almost $31 million? I, I don't know. I genuinely don't. And we'll find out in the next few weeks. But if I had to guess, and this could easily be wrong, it would be that Chris Paul stays with the Suns. He gets his contract non-guaranteed and uh, comes back on a veteran minimum. And then they figure it out from there. So thank you for the question, Luke. Next, Andrew P. Thank you for the super chat. Likelihood Bulls move Zach Levine. Thoughts on DiVincenzo? I'm going to hold off on DiVincenzo because of the fact that we will be doing a mid-level exception pod coming up. So stay tuned for that. But in terms of with Levine, I I couldn't tell you, right? The, the Bulls, to me, are the weirdest organization, arguably the weirdest organization in the NBA. They have a governor in Reinsdorf who doesn't, want to go into the tax for a bad team. Probably doesn't even really want to go into the tax for a good team. I think over the last 21 seasons, he's paid the tax twice. So that's certainly something to keep in mind. If they wanted to run everything back, they'd be in the tax. I don't expect them to run everything back. The, the wording is weird to me. It's funny how it's operating, right? Cause like they've been throwing out things of first. It was Lonzo balls, not coming back. He's probably out for the whole season. And mind you, if Lonzo Ball's out for the entire season, the Bulls actually recoup 80% of his salary from insurance. So it actually is in Reinsdorf's best interest if he's, if we're talking about Reinsdorf, hey, how can I make as much money or keep as much money as possible for them to keep Lonzo and just recoup the money back? That would be the cheap way of doing it. But now it's suddenly, oh, well, the Bulls are expecting Lonzo to come back. And that feels very weird to me considering the procedure that he just had and all of that. And then there's the report of, hey, we want to sign Vucevic. We want to commit to a deal. And it's also, yeah, we're not, we have no intention of moving Zach Levine. It just feels to me like they... <laughs> They're saying so much, or at least so much is coming out that they're trying to 
say, no, we definitely don't want to blow up the blow up the team. And it's like at a certain point, silence is golden. So what do you really have to gain by telling everyone we're bringing Lonzo Ball back and he's going to play? We're keeping Zach Levine. We're retaining Vucevic. Like to me, it it reeks much more of we actually want to find a way to kind of retool this roster. We just don't have much leverage right now. So if we put out that we're running it back, it's a lot easier for us to be like, well, you're making us give up Zach Levine. So like, if you're making us do it, then you're going to have to pay for it. It's going to be extra because we have to take on the cost of not being a better team next year. And when you look at the landscape of the league, it's wide open as well for a team to tank. Not saying the Bulls will do that, but just like of the teams that were so bad this year, a lot of them are either getting really good players in the draft, like the Spurs, or they're getting Kate Cunningham back, like the Pistons. Uh, It's just not going to be quite as the free-for-all. And you could see a team... Maybe it's like the Raptors that just kind of flames out, decides we, we're just going to have a fire sale and we know we can get a really great pick in this draft. They have a, a top, I think it's top six protected pick uh, for the next three years. So do they use that to try to rebuild for all those three years? Do they do it two years. Is it one year where they try to get it? I'm not sure. But in terms of with the Bulls, it's just, it's almost like he doth protest too much. It's just why you would want that out there unless you're trying to say to other teams that you're open for business, but you're not open for business because if you were open for business, then business would be booming and maybe it's not. So uh, again, I expect a lot of these players to stay until they don't, but with the case like Levine, it's just, and the salary cap coming up, like these new tax rules, I don't think it would impact them too much, but I, the bulls are actually, they're a fascinating case study to me because the Bulls are essentially what my worry is if the Knicks were to go in and try to get talent that was, um, you know, like a DeMar DeRozan type, like a Paul George type, right? Again, not comparing the two one-to-one, but more in that, hey, let's bring an older player in here. Let's, we're kind of all over the place in terms of age and fit and skill set. And it's not to say the Knicks couldn't be a better team than the Bulls. I think they absolutely would be, but it's just, we're winning now, but we're also winning later but we don't have the pieces later to win now because we use them now. And I just, it's not something that really clicks. So yeah, with a wide open team or, you know, wide open league, I could absolutely see the bulls saying, let's, let's get a great draft pick. They can keep their pick the following year uh, because it's owed to the Spurs, but if it's protected, so maybe they try to duck the protections there and really rebuild on the fly. But I'll assume they're not, you know, willing to sell, do a fire sale until they are, but I don't think it's unlikely that they do it. You know, like I I just, I think there's an opportunity there. So thank you, Andrew. Uh, From Ben Kim Gurvey, Jeremy, thanks for doing this. You did a great job thinking like your client Nick's on the cap or no cap. Thank you, Ben. Uh, Now think for Julius, which are the teams that would benefit most from having him warts and all? Yeah. So from a team perspective, and believe me, this was, I didn't go into the last one either going like, where can I trade RJ and not Julius? So from a Julius Randall standpoint, it's, I'm just going to pull up the list of teams and kind of fly through them here. It's really a matter of what is the objective for these teams? Where do they want to go? The tricky part for Julius, of course, and this I would imagine plays somewhat into his value is fantastic regular season player. 0 for 2 and really 0 for 2 in terms of playoff performance. So are you finding a team that is really close to 
competing that would want Julius? Probably not. And they're probably all set. So you look at other teams, maybe that are not able to get talent in the same way, uh, whether it's because of their market, because their situation, any of that sort of thing. Like, I think an easy, kind of lazy, but I'll take it answer is the Mavericks, right? Like they don't have good salary to send back to the Knicks, but you look at Dallas, you look at where he's from, you look at how you're saying to Luca, look, what if we add a player to your, you know, around you that wants to be here long-term because Jalen Brunson was up for a new contract and said, I don't want to be here and left. And you got Kyrie Irving with the whole, Hey, let's get LeBron to Dallas, which the whole thing, by the way, about the Lakers or the Mavs trying to get LeBron to go to the late to, to the Mavs last year, it's complete fabrication. LeBron couldn't even be traded last year because of the, uh, extension that he agreed to. So the idea that the Mavs are trying really hard to get LeBron, like they keep trying, the CBA is not going to let it and it didn't let it. And it wasn't going to happen regardless, but you get to a point of Kyrie. Okay. What if Kyrie leaves? That's a problem. You now have traded your 2029 unprotected pick, which is after Lucas contract expires. And you just think about players that you would want on your team that you could easily retain. Because if you're Julius Randall, it's a thought process. If you mean to tell me I can stay in my hometown, I can get paid in Texas where there's no state tax. I can work alongside Luca. It's certainly of interest, right? And then there's the other thought process of, okay, the, that's the thing. I, I don't see the 10th overall pick being at play in this type of situation. Um, but then you talk about, okay, the Pacers. Miles Turner, obviously from Dallas. Is it the same situation where if you're Dallas and you're not a free agent destination and you're trading your picks and your picks also are not maturing at the rate that you need to around Luka, you get you trade for talent. That's then the last piece. But if you're trading for talent and that talent is leaving, then you need to consider about getting the players you know you can retain. Type like Julius, type like Miles Turner. Outside of Dallas, um, I know it was, we were talking about this in the uh, KFS faculty chat where Mensa brought up the idea of trading Julius Randle in RJ's place. And it's more from Chicago standpoint. Okay. You've got Patrick Williams who is going to get extended, assuming they keep him, which I'm assuming they will. You have DeMar DeRozan. Are you keeping DeMar? Are you moving him? And you have Julius Randle. And it's basically, if you keep the, the two former players and Julius, you're now focusing on, okay, we basically have three power forwards on our team and that's not going to fly. You need someone to be faster. You need more agility in there. You need a point guard, which they still wouldn't have. And then you get the bad Julius potentially because you don't have that point guard. You need someone to steady him. So if we go back to that, then you need to find a team that has a point guard that could better use Julius. So it saves him from his own habits. Um, the thunder would be fascinating. Do I see it happening? No, I definitely don't. But I think that it's a sort of mindset where, It'd be fun to look at, but it's not it's just not a trade that I see. Um, you could talk about the Pelicans, him going back there, the whole Zion Williamson thing. Um, no comment. If you know, you know. I, not the sort of thing where I think it would fly well in New York, but uh, Atlanta doesn't really need Julius. You get to the option of, okay, the Timberwolves, right? If there's a point where they wanted to turn Cat into qual- uh, quantity, right? Quality into quantity. Maybe they work, but I just don't see that being an option for something that they necessarily want, especially because in a couple of years, you don't have to pay Julius again. And the Wolves are in a pretty tight situation with their money because of Cat, Gobert, the Anthony Edwards extension, uh, Jaden McDaniels extension. 
And then you keep going down the list. The Lakers is not going to work. The Heat, not an option. The Warriors, that's a no. The Clippers, potentially. But then, you know, Paul George fitting into the, the front. You're now looking at three guys who are probably with Kawhi and PG and Randall that, that it's not really going to mesh very well. The Suns don't really have much money to to do. I mean, there's not really a benefit to the Knicks getting Chris Paul in, in this case. DeAndre Ayton's not something that I would really enjoy. I'm I'm not an Ayton fan on this team. Uh, and in general, I just I'm there's some at best orange flags. Um, and you as you go further and further down the the list of the best teams, it's okay. Well, where does it work? What's going on here? So. It's just a tricky thing. Like maybe the Wizards are interested, right? Maybe if you got Zach Levine, that you now want someone who's more of a defensive presence. And you go after Kristaps Porzingis using Julius Randle. I wouldn't necessarily do that. Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of love for KP, renewed love. Uh, not where my head is at. Uh, really talented player. Just don't see that being the next logical step for the Knicks. So I think it. I still think it's the sort of thing where if you're the Knicks, it takes another year. If it happened this year and the Knicks were also able to kind of move pieces around so they get that off the dribble shooting that cause with Randall out the door, if you swapped Randall for someone who didn't have off the dribble shooting, you're looking at just Jalen Brunson as an option. And it's probably not Grimes and it's not going to be RJ. And then it warrants a, a further conversation there. So it's a long-winded way of saying the Mavericks, um, the Pacers, if they wanted to win, but I don't think they're that eager to do it, but maybe um, Detroit, if they really feel the the heat to win, I mean, Troy Weaver has built a team that's just not been very good. So how eager are they to win? Is he on the hot seat? So I'll say those are my three teams, Dallas, Indiana, and Detroit, but I, yeah, you could say Houston as well. Sure. But I just, you know, they're kind of a wild card just based on James Harden, it'd be a pretty mid team. But then again, I think any team that assembles James Harden as their nucleus right now is, uh, and doesn't have Joel Embiid is probably not going to have a good time. So thank you for the question, Ben. It's a great question. For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about Factor. During the spring season, you need wholesome, convenient meals to energize you for warmer, more active days and keep you on track for reaching your goals. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and tackle everything on your to-do list. Too busy to cook this May? With Factor, skip the trip to the grocery store and skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor 
Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back outside and soak up the warmer weather. Going off script for this next part because I personally can't say enough how clutch Factor has been over the last two weeks. I'm talking Jalen Brunson clutch. I'm talking Allen Houston with four seconds against the Miami Heat in 1999 clutch. Whether it's a huge playoff game followed by a late night post game, I barely have time to prep and cook anything. So every time a post game has ended, I grab a factor meal from the fridge, put it right in the microwave, and in two minutes, I've got my dinner ready to go. The future Mrs. Claudio loves factor as well. With her busy schedule with meetings and writing reports all day, being just two minutes away from a healthy, well-cooked, pre-prepared meal is so convenient. This May, get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered right to your door. Don't hesitate. Head to factormeals.com slash filmschool50 and use code filmschool50 to get 50% off your first box. Again, that's code filmschool50 at factormeals.com slash filmschool50 and get 50% off your first box. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Jason M, if the Knicks move Obi, who is the ideal replacement? A player that should be on your radar is Keita Bates-Diop. Jason, uh, all I'm going to say is, I, I see you. It's all I'm going to say because, uh, yeah, this is, the, this is the fun thing about it, right? Where like you talk about or you think about these players in terms of tracking them. And it's like, cool, this, this is an option. This is super under the radar, dude. For me, yep, KBD. It's all right. I don't fault you for for spoiling a little bit of the MLE. It's not just going to be KBD talk. We're going to have other players there too. But uh, I see you. I thank you. And I curse you for the fact that I'm now talking about him in this moment. But thank you. Uh, TJ2K, thank you for the super chat. Who replaces IQ if he's moved? McBride, free agent. Uh, McBride, question mark, free agent, question mark. Another question that I will happily answer... <laughs> With the mid-level exception, because yeah, um, not to go full in depth, but moving IQ, which I this summer I am against for several reasons. Uh, one being from a talent perspective, two being from a team defense perspective, and three being from a continuous soup perspective. Uh, that's why it's just it's not really tenable. But yes, if you were to move IQ, you need someone more than Deuce McBride to fill in. Because Deuce's defense is nice, he can run some point, but you really need that legit pull-up threat. Um, you certainly want him to be a good defender. So I, we'll talk more about it, I promise, but that's kind of setting up the stage for this upcoming uh, cap or no cap. Darren Hood, I have a question, Jeremy. What do you see the Knicks Pacers trade will consist of? I like the use of will. It implies it's uh, definitely happening. And it, I think, it, I mean, Darren, they're logical trade partners. So we could absolutely see it. You know, going back to January, John and I were talking about potential options for the Knicks uh, at the deadline. And one of the ones I mentioned was the OB uh, for Duarte and like, one of those late picks. And I still stand by that. I understand Obi had what was considered a down season, but he still, he still graded out really well a second year. You could see the jump there. I think this is just for whatever reasons. And we know a lot of them. It's just not seeming like the right circumstances for Obi moving forward in New York. Doesn't mean he's not a good player. 
there's talent there. If he finishes at the rim at a much better clip than he did this past season, uh, I want to say the sky's the limit, but you're looking at a player where teams are suddenly saying, why did the Knicks give up on that guy? And if they do that, a big reason is the financial ramifications. OB has to get paid. You could probably find someone that's a bit cheaper at that position. Um, but really, just in terms of that move, if it's if we're not including Duarte in this situation, and I'm not because Josh Hart is now in the fold, don't really need that unless, of course, going back to the IQ conversation, yeah, you could slide Duarte in there, but I'd really like more ball handling than what Duarte provides. It still goes back to, okay, can you get 26 from the Pacers? Would you actually prefer 29 if you're the Knicks? Because 29 is cheaper than 26. And there's a good chance that the player on the board uh, that you love is still there. So maybe you can do that. Um, the Pacers also have the 32nd pick overall. Chris, uh, it's funny because Chris and I were texting back and forth and I sent him something. And he sent the same thought right back. And I was very proud of him because like, damn. Chris, you're growing. You're getting the whole cap thing. I love it. And the thing was that if the Knicks are trading into this draft, and let's say it is involving the Pacers, and let's say it is involving Obi Toppin, although it doesn't have to be, right? Because as I mentioned, the Knicks could very easily trade a bunch of high second and future second round picks into this draft and use Obi for other purposes or keep him. You know, lots of options. But the mindset of, okay, well, what if the Knicks went for the 26, 29, or 32? Is there really a difference? And the answer is yes. And it's not just financial next season, right? Because 26, as I mentioned, it's going to be more expensive than 29. And 29, of course, going to be more expensive than 32. Second round picks, you can sign them for the minimum and, and upwards. The Knicks could take a player 32nd overall, sign them using a portion of the mid-level exception and walk away just fine. But no, the main thing to keep in mind here is the fourth year. So the fourth year is important because if the Knicks were to trade with the Pacers and get 29, they'd have a player for four years, two years guaranteed, two team options. Have to assume the Knicks, assuming they don't pick a dud, would take a player that they would have for those four years. That fourth year is still a rookie scale option. Same thing with the 26th pick. With the 32nd pick, you're likely having a three-year deal, not a four-year deal. Why not a four-year deal? Well. Look at what happened with Mitchell Robinson. Nick signed him to a four-year deal, became an unrestricted free agent in his fourth year. Jalen Brunson, unrestricted free agent in his fourth year. The contracts for their third years were a little different where Mitch, you know, it, it was like a team option versus if uh, Brunson had been non-guaranteed, he would have been a free agent a year early. So they're not the same, but the fourth year is still the point. And if you're the Knicks, and I imagine the Knicks will do some big things over the next few years. That's not a secret. If they do that, that means that things get expensive. And if things get expensive, you want cost control as much as possible and as long as possible. So getting the 32nd pick overall means, okay, well, now we have to pay the 36th, 32nd pick a year earlier than we would have paid the 29th pick. So if you're New York, you really want to focus on 29 or 26 with the Pacers and not 32. That's where it becomes a financial concern. Uh, similar could be said with Rokas, right? Like I don't expect Rokas to come over this year, but I could see it next year potentially. And if it's next year, you're doing the exact same thing as lining it up with this first round pick. Now you have two cheap rotation players who would be signed through, let's see, I mean, 
let's do the math, right? It's 2023, 24, 24, 25, 25, 26, 26, 27. So in 2027, they would both be restricted free agents, assuming the Knicks didn't extend them beforehand, which I gather they would. So that's what it really comes down to. So Darren, I'd say in terms of the offer, best case scenario, Knicks just throw some second round picks at them, talking the Detroit pick in next year's draft, the Utah pick in next year's draft, um, probably a future second. Or you could do what they did with the Blazers, which was Detroit pick um, is the lesser of the Timberwolves Knicks pick in 2026. Um, and then there was also a 2027 pick and I think a 2028 pick in there too. That would be the preference. If you have to get into the OB top in business, then you could conceivably do it. I just would rather use OB in another way if we're assuming he's traded. Um, so that's what I would imagine it'd look like. The wild card here is if the Pacers take a four uh, with their pick, their first one. Um, are they trading Miles Turner somewhere? If they are, what are they getting back? Do they need a five? All those types of questions. So um, yeah, again, it's, it's one of those things where it's so obvious. I feel like it just won't happen because the obvious trades never do. And yet the Pacers have a surplus and the Knicks have a surplus of future picks. So let's make a deal. Thank you for the question, Darren. Juanon, thank you for the very generous Super Chat contribution. What are the chances we call David Griffin on draft night in search of Herb Jones? Am I crazy? Would OB be enough? Also curious your thoughts on the Wizards rebuilding impacting our offseason. My condolences on your dog. Oh, well, thank you. Um, let's start with the Pelicans. Pelicans are in this really weird spot financially where they can't add anyone and they probably wouldn't want to add anyone because of the fact that they are never likely to be in the tax. So they're going to be protective of that. Now, yes, Herbert Jones, he's a restricted free agent next summer. You certainly would be thinking, well, they have Trey Murphy the third. He's really good. Uh, you also have um, Dyson Daniels, different type of player, but from the defensive standpoint, you could kind of get there. So it's it's the Pelicans not saying we don't want to pay Herb Jones. It's what's the opportunity cost for us if we have a self-imposed financial limitation where do we go from there? And yes, I think that Jones would be, you You could go in there and get him. Uh, the question, of course, is on the Knicks, does he make a whole lot of sense? I think he makes a lot more sense in the, the Royce O'Neal type of thing that we talked about archetype wise, but you're also now paying him a year earlier than he'd be paying Grimes. Grimes is a far better shooter. I'd say Jones is a better defender, of course, but it's you're still giving something up and you're paying more for it. Um, so are you moving Grimes? Are you packaging him for something? It's just a lot of machinations that come into play. All that being said, I do think the Pelicans would consider moving him because they can't pay everyone. And unless Brandon Ingram says next year, I'm not staying in New Orleans, in which case, if you're the Pelicans, you just say, okay, well, we'll, we'll keep Herb Jones. And I guess... I guess we kind of have to move Brandon Ingram if he doesn't want to stay here. Uh, that's certainly the thought process. Uh, so I don't think you're crazy in terms of thinking Herb Jones. I just don't think he's uh, an option for the Knicks in the same way that he would be for, you know, like your Raptors type team. You know, I'm thinking of a team that just has nothing to lose in terms of if they're rebuilding, if they want to add more talent, if they obviously love deflections and they love that type of player. So maybe he fits there. Just doesn't strike me as a, a New York fit. 
Uh, and Obi wouldn't be enough also because Obi needs to get paid. So is it a three team deal now where you're sending Obi to, you know, a Pacers type team, a team that doesn't have to worry about the luxury tax or cap space or whatever it might be and can afford to keep Obi long term. As for the Wizards, yeah, I'm I'm so fascinated by them. I just assumed that they were going to say, hey, we've got Bradley Beal. We have to keep Kuzma, keep Porzingis and run it back. Maybe they do run it back. There is a an argument to be made that what they should do is they bring back Kuzma. They bring back Porzingis. They look for a point guard. They try it for a year. And then next summer they say, okay, it didn't work. We're going to trade all, all these pieces around you, Brad. And until you remove your no trade clause, you can be here, but we don't want you to be here. We'd like you to be elsewhere. That contract is brutal, right? Like I just, it's a lot of money for Bradley Beal. And he holds the leverage because he was given a no trade clause and it's as simple as that. So I don't think that they will get much for him. You know, I like the way I see it is we're Knicks fans. We lived through the Carmelo Anthony era, the whole awful trade situation, how ugly that was. I mean, Beal doesn't play in New York. It doesn't have Phil Jackson subtweeting at him. And, and it's not like the environment is terrible there. But there's something to be said of if, you know, like what's at what point does he say, I want to go somewhere? And at what point does he say, I only want to go to these places? And if he only wants to go to these places, then the value of him, especially with that contract, is really low. And you can actually acquire him for a pretty, what I think would be cheap price because he sets the stage. He sets the price in a lot of ways. And it's just kind of funny to think that there might come a time where if he says, I only want to go to a handful of teams. And if a couple of those teams either don't have the assets or don't want him, that he's now suddenly undervalued, underrated, so to speak. The contract's still awful, but if you can, you know, like, are we talking about moving bad salary for him? Different story. So obviously, if the Wizards, I'm rooting for the Wizards to do well because I want that pick to convey. There's also a big part of me that just wants that pick to be with another team. And you could say, well, if you are worried that the Knicks, the pick isn't going to convey to the Knicks when other teams feel the same way. Yeah, hundred percent. But that's why I'm hoping the wizards don't pull the plug and that they actually try to make some sort of effort. Um, you know, like I look at them and I wonder where they make the point guard upgrade. Is Colin Sexton an option. The jazz want to keep that pick. They've got a bunch of guards. They have Chris Dunn for cheap. Danny Ainge loves Chris Dunn. Not saying Chris Dunn's a better player than Colin Sexton, but if you're the Wizards and you've got some extra salary to play with that isn't Beal, Kuzma, Porzingis, you do. I mean, they, they've got um, they have Wright, they have Morris, they have some other money in there. Like, are they going to keep Danny Avdia? I would imagine they do, but maybe Kispert. Maybe they send Johnny Davis to Utah because Utah says, hey, we're willing to, to put up with it. All sorts of options where the Wizards and similar to the Pelicans too. They're both teams that need to consolidate in some way. So I'm curious how they go about it. Um, I would suggest the Wizards consolidate for a point guard. That's with my Knicks interest at play. If I didn't have the Knicks interest in play, I would just tell them to tear it down, which is hard to do when you have an immovable piece in Bradley Beal, assuming he doesn't want to go. So uh, Junon, thank you again for the contribution. Hope that answered your questions. 
uh, from AG Days 26. In part one of Cap or No Cap, you mentioned OG, but didn't go far into the idea. I think an RG, RJ for OG trade and IQ for Spider next summer makes sense with all the talks of him wanting to come to New York. Thoughts? Thank you. Heart emoji. Uh, so the reason I didn't talk more about OG is because I felt that I talked enough about OG in the past for where he lines up. But let's talk about it again in case I didn't uh, go over it as well as I should have. OG would be again in that Royce O'Neal role. You don't want OG having full offensive responsibility. He's one of the worst players in isolation last year. That's just not his role. That said, he had a pretty efficient 16, 17 points per game. If you can add him to the fold, you do change the complexity of your shooting, but you also take away the dribble drive penetration. That is where RJ thrives. And I, I feel very confident that's something RJ will always be good at. He always gets downhill. That's his, his best quality. Um, as DJ Zulo tweeted about today with B-Ball Index and their stats, RJ in terms of like getting to the rim and, and the talent that's finishing, I mean, uh, I think the, the rim talent that's mentioned, the way B-Ball Index talks about it, is heavily incorporated as the ability to get downhill, not as much finishing, but finishing is a part of it. So the the ability certainly bumps up those numbers, but that's RJ's elite at that. He, he really is. So in terms of how do you replace that? If you, you have to then probably move Grimes. And now we're talking about, well, how are you moving Grimes to get someone that replaces that, that works with everything and where the money works? Because it's hard to find that player who fits exactly that. And it's just a lot of moving pieces. And that's why, you know, like we talk about next summer, with Emmanuel quickly and Donovan Mitchell. Like, yeah, look, if you told me, Hey, next summer, the Knicks could get Donovan Mitchell for pennies on the dollar compared to what the Cavaliers did. Um, that sounds good to me. I still can't shake the fact that the Nets go after a player like Donovan because next summer they'd have expiring money. It wouldn't be good expiring money, but it'd be expiring money. And they have unprotected, Suns picks that could work. Um, they obviously don't have their own, but you know, like if you're a team like Cleveland, you have to think of exit strategies. And if you don't have them, it's kind of a problem. So for context, Brooklyn owns the first round picks by Phoenix in 2025, 2027, and 2029. And you're not going to believe this, but Utah owns. Cleveland's picks in 2025, 2027, and 2029. So if there were ever a team to say, hey, what if we could get out of Steppy and hell because we can get picks back in the same spot and we just say, this didn't work out. We move him to New York. It's not the Knicks. We, we could be fine with that. I legitimately think that would be a possibility. In terms of the Knicks focus, what are they offering? And at what point... Is it a better offer? Like again, I'm not suggesting that Donovan Mitchell is worth three unprotected picks, right? Like I, I don't, I don't believe Brooklyn would even give up that much. But it's the concept of proof here of they could help fill in the gap so that Cleveland can actually build back uh, in a in a better way, build back better. Shout out Joe Biden. So if you are able to do that, makes sense for Cleveland. Now, from the Knicks perspective, um, I, I, you know. It's a year away. I know I just talked about the Nets being a year away and, and all that, but it could work for sure. Um, but I think that if you could get someone cheaper 
Again, it's the question, is a player like Zach Levine going to be cheaper this summer? Maybe. Um, you have more years of control, but you have more question marks versus Donovan Mitchell, who would be in New York. The, that question of, is he going to stay here? It goes out the window. You know he will. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Like Again, I, I think if you get OG, you have to fool around other places. You've got to get that RJ type in terms of going downhill. And I wouldn't necessarily do the, um, I wouldn't necessarily move IQ for spider. And I don't mean that in a vacuum, like obviously sure uh, you do it, but it's more a question of, can you get other talent in the door before then? Uh, but yeah, I mean, there is a certain point where maybe it does make sense and happy to reassess that in a year, assuming that the Knicks don't do anything drastic this summer. Although we'll see. So thank you for the question. Bayside Jr., is there any way to get Kristaps Porzingis on the team without losing any of the one to four starters or heart and have KP play center? Yeah, there is. Let's talk about the math involved. So you'd be sending out Mitchell Robinson because uh, you just naturally would be. And then Evan Fournier. Um, it might not, it might be a little too top heavy in that sense, in which case maybe the Wizards have some sort of salary to send back. Maybe if the Knicks really don't care about the tax. They guarantee uh, the team option um, for Derek Rose and they move Rose and they move um, Mitchell Robinson and they get Porzingis. There are avenues there. It's just a question of if you're the Knicks, do you want a full-time center who doesn't have such a focus on rebounding quite like Mitchell Robinson does on the offensive end? Um, But yeah, in terms of is there a way as opposed to should, there's definitely a way. The, the Knicks can certainly find a way to do it. It gets harder if Porzingis opts out. Uh, they have to deal with a sign and trade. So him opting in and then being traded would be the easier scenario than him opting out and figuring out a sign and trade. It hard caps the Knicks. It's, it's not a huge issue, but it could be. It's just easier if he were to opt in in order for that trade to go through. Uh, Joseph J, thank you so much for the super chat contribution. The Gobert trade last off season set the market for trades. Does the market reset this off season, or did the trade lock up uh, lock it up for years to come? Hashtag continuous soup. I think that teams have recognized that the Gobert trade from the moment it was announced was a massive overpay, and I think a huge reason. I think we've seen it start to readjust a bit. Obviously, Durant was traded for a haul. I'm still, I, I still would have done that trade, but I am also skeptical at the same time about how Phoenix pulls it together. In terms of though, the impact on Gobert, I don't think that impacts Gobert at all. I think they're just two separate trades that happen to occur within the same calendar year uh, or like NBA caliber, uh, calendar season. I do think we see it come down, but it all comes down to supply and demand, right? Like if a lot of the insiders are saying buckle up because this could be a crazy summer in terms of star movement, then how does that impact price? Because obviously there'll be high demand, but there'll be high supply. So how many teams are focused on, okay, if we don't get that guy. We feel we can get that guy. And if we can't get that guy, then we still think we have a chance at that guy. So it's all over the place and it really comes down to how many players and good players are on the market. This, this past summer, it felt pretty quiet. I mean, it was the Jazz obviously held 
command in terms of where they were dictating players, but it's not like a bunch of other teams really stripped it down in, in such a way. I mean, the Spurs obviously did, and they got a good haul for DeJounte Murray, but other than that, there just wasn't a ton of significant movement um, in terms of like the offseason. Midseason, yeah, you got Kyrie, but again, we're now talking about two teams, the Jazz and the Nets, that looked at their situations and blew it up from there. And I just, I mean, Andrew told me in the chat, but unless I'm blanking on someone, there really weren't any teams that were kind of driving the bus here in order to change up the entire dynamic of how the league would operate. It's really just been more of those two teams dictating how the stars on the market are or who they are and where they go. So uh, hopefully it resets because last year was awful. Dirty Dancer. Should the Knicks be looser with re-signing guys with how hard to replace even marginal players will be once they surpass the second apron? It's a good question. Uh, it's tough to determine right now with them not at the second apron, but the second apron will, in fact, mean that the Knicks have to make hard decisions. And yet, it doesn't because the Knicks are going to have to make hard decisions no matter what. So, it really comes down to how much are the Knicks willing to spend here? If the Knicks are willing to blow past the second apron, we don't have a problem. Uh, you just have to plan accordingly because there are certain rules of the game that you need to be ready for in order to do that, right? Like there are certain things you can't do once you've surpassed that second apron. But if you know a few years from now, you're going to, you can find avenues to then get around those rules. Uh, one of them Involving actually Zach Levine, I will. Um, I guess I can go into into depth with that now. Let's do it um, real quick. So I saw a really great debate on my timeline between uh, XJ and uh, Jeff Jeff, who is Frank Barrett on Twitter of the Strickland, and it was all about kind of like the cost of doing business and all these various things and the money on the books. So XJ is more in terms of the what I was talking about this past week of, okay, you get Zach Levine. There is a mindset where in a few years, you could turn Zach Levine into something else. And Jeff was of the mindset of, yeah, I'm not trusting Zach Levine to do that. I don't trust the guy in his early 30s with knee concerns, um, but maybe I'm, I'm, I'm overseeing things or, you know, maybe, maybe I just don't, know where this is going or, or I'm, I'm missing something. And I didn't say anything because I wanted to address it more in a pod form, but there was something being missed. And here's what it comes down to. Let's say the Knicks do get Zach Levine and they do plan on being in the second tax apron. There's a little rule with the second tax apron where you cannot aggregate salaries. There's another rule where you cannot say, hey, I have a player for, let's say, $50 million, and you have a player for $55 million, and I would like to acquire that player. Doesn't allow it. So the thought process now becomes, how do I, as the Knicks, how do I position myself to be ready, willing, and able to acquire someone? So take Zach Levine. And this kind of, again, this all... This works if the Knicks decide to go into the second tax apron. If they don't, um, it's a different story. We, and you can just ignore this, but let's assume that they do because I think it could be relevant. Uh, and Jerry answer, I promise I will get back. There's a reason I will 
go to this question, go back to it. But so Zach Levine under contract this upcoming season, $40 million next year, 43, the year after that, 46, the year after that, the 2026-27 season, $49 million. Okay. It's a lot of money. Uh, it's also $7 million less than Bradley Beal and Carl Anthony Towns are going to be making. So uh, it's if you like those players on the team instead, just think about the tax and all that stuff. It's actually better to have a player like Levine, um, age-wise, position-wise, money-wise, in my opinion. But going back to this, that player option, and this will be better as a graphic. I will do this again. I promise you. $49 million player option. If he opts out, that's 2026. There's this gap where you now have to worry about signing trades and money and all that lining up. I have not been shy about how I think Devin Booker is going to be a target. Certainly not the first person to talk about Devin Booker. Shout out to Chris. But you need the money to work. So if you want a Devin Booker and you don't believe he's going to be going anywhere until 2026, and there's good reason to assume he wouldn't. You now have to do two things. Number one, you have to find a way to get him. Number two, you need to make sure that you have the money in order to do it. So let's say Zach Levine opts into that con- that final year. Okay, he's earning $49 million. Well, Devin Booker is earning like 60, something in that ballpark. So the problem is you're in the second tax apron. You're taking more money in than you're sending out. And you can't aggregate other salary to make the math work because you're not allowed to do that anymore. So then comes the philosophy of what happens in the 2025-26 season if you have Zach Levine and you know he has a player option. You actually say to Zach Levine, tell you what, decline the player option. Let's sign you to a two-year extension. You might be thinking, why are the Knicks doing this? Because the two-year extension would then be the first year that contract would be more than what Devin Booker is making. So it means that if you're above the second tax apron and you have Zach Levine making more money than Devin Booker, it works. You can send Zach Levine out and take Devin Booker in. And you don't have to worry about aggregating salaries because Zach Levine makes so much money that you can then have the cost of doing business and you can add your picks, right? And find a way to, to, because it wouldn't be a one for one. That is where the second tax apron means you have to think more strategically. You have to think backwards, not forwards. Now it's so much harder to think forwards. And so when it comes to the marginal moves, yes, every single move that the Knicks make impacts where they, where they become with the tax. And it's the thought process of, okay, cool. I'd love for Emmanuel quickly to be on this team long-term. I also know that it's hard to have someone in his role um, earning a ton of money and not playing significantly. It's possible. I mean, like he still gets a lot of minutes, but at what point does he then say, I don't want to keep coming off the bench. I want to be a starter. At what point do the Knicks say, we need to upgrade our top end talent and we have to worry about Emmanuel quickly. I don't want to trade Emmanuel quickly, but if he's making a lot and there's the process of, on one hand, you could have Emmanuel quickly and the team that you're on. Another hand, you could move Emmanuel quickly and other salary and get a star and then use your mid-level exception to replace quickly in some capacity with Rokas. This is less about advising and more just about stating what could be. And that's exactly, Dirty Dancer, where the marginal moves so come into play. Because if the Knicks have to worry about their cap, and if they have to worry about paying these players, because Jalen Brunson is not going to, he's not going to be cheap forever. That's when you have to think of where can we get these low cost guys and that's also the benefit of drafting at the end of the first round. And it's why the Knicks have said we can find talent at the end of the first round. 
these mar- guys on the margins who play big roles. And we can even trade back for them because we know what they're going to be good. And we can pick up assets while trading back for them and spending less money on them. So the marginal stuff is really going to come into play. It's often overlooked with a team like this, with all 30 teams and the salary situation it's become even more important. And the, the pick situation and the third two-way contract, that's going to be key as well. So dear dancer, love this question. Thank you very much. Not every billionaire has the stamina, the dedication, or the fire to become the most unpopular owner in sports. But not everyone is James Dolan, the owner of the New York Knicks. This is Reign of Error, a new podcast series that gives you a courtside seat for the controversies, scandals, and drama that seems to follow the infamous billionaire. Track Dolan's rise from aspiring musician to the throne of one of the most beloved franchises in sports. Along the way, he'll battle his own players, fans, celebrities, the New York media, politicians, even the Girl Scouts. Reign of Error unpacks the outlandish story over five riveting episodes, detailing how Dolan became a lightning rod of criticism in his quest to outdo his billionaire father, while also asking the $6 billion question, why doesn't he just sell the team? Check out Reign of Error wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. What's up, Knicks fans? Super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made just for you. Oakley's changing the game and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, train, or just want to look like your favorite athlete? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self and an expression of your personality, with Oakley, there's more than meets the eye. Here at Knicks Film School, our motto is look good, play good, and that's why Oakley is the perfect partner for us. Not a one of us leaves the house in the morning without our Oakleys. And listen up, because it's officially almost summer, which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now. Check out Oakley.com to get yourself a pair today. Also, did you know that Oakley even offers prism lens technology? Now, I know what you're thinking. GMAC, what the hell is that? Well, it's a technology solely used by Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? Head on over to Oakley.com and check it out for yourself. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses. That'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to Oakley.com for more information today. Next Planet Podcast. Thank you for the super chat contribution. Levine next to Grimes would be awesome. Watch. I think so. I'm sure there are a lot of very angry RJ supporters who may vehemently disagree. And that's totally fine. I respect that. It's fandom. Um, and there's still time for him to grow and become a better player. He's not a finished product at 22. But yeah, the the athleticism, the explosiveness, the shooting, I think they play off really well with each other. And there's the thought of, oh, well, you know, who's going to be the three? Who's going to be the two? I don't want to say it doesn't matter because it does. But Levine at the three, it's certainly like he played, according to Cleveland Glass, 53% of his minutes last year. And the defense at the three was actually really good. It was a percentile in the 80s, I want to say. It was the defense at the two that was a little lesser. But Gwen Grimes saw the biggest change in defensive matchups compared to his rookie year to this past year, according to B-Ball Index. So... Grimes is going to take the tougher assignment and 
Levine's going to be there. I, I'm with you. I think it would be. I think it would be a fun matchup if we're going based on what the Knicks want and that Levine is what they want, fitting that archetype. But yeah, I, I cause for concern, but I think the upside is larger than many may think. Andrew P, uh, thank you again for the super chat. Uh, does a front office with so many voices concern you? It, okay, I. It's so tough to gauge internal politics from the outside. From what I understand, Rosas had a big role in terms of running the negotiations with the Jazz. That also, like, Danny Ainge wasn't the one who was also running negotiations either. You have your president of basketball operations um, or your, you know, whatever title Danny Ainge holds that I'm blanking on. Like, those are the, the people who say, yes, no, you green light things, you, you have thoughts. I've always operated under, yes, there's such a thing as too many cooks in a kitchen, but you also want several voices in the room. You want dissenting opinions because if you don't have that, it's a cause for concern. So that's where I kind of gravitate. I'm not in their front office. It's hard for me to know. I understand the concern of so many different voices. Obviously, there's one fewer voice with Scott Perry. I would be very surprised if Rosas didn't become the general manager as a result, but we'll let that process play out. So if that is indeed the case, it's one less voice in the room. You still talk about these things, but the Knicks have good people in all sorts of different roles, right? I mean, obviously with, with the salary cap, obviously with analytics, um, with draft. I mean, they're just across the board. They have good talent there. And I don't know. There's a part of me that feels like every Business could also use a World Wide West. It's it's silly, but at the same time, you kind of want that dude who's just shouting things shirtless. Like, yeah, how can you take this guy seriously? And yet, that's what got Emmanuel quickly. So I think there's something to be said there. It doesn't really concern me, but again, I'm not in the room. I'm not in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. So I don't know. Uh, Anthony Strano, thank you for the super chat. Really looking forward to this Emily discussion. Dante D, uh, Dante D. Vincenzo is a guy I'd love to see on this team. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's definitely merit to it. We will 100% be talking about him. I'm excited to get into the conversation with him. The Villanova connection, certainly there. There was an interview that either dropped recently or it was just a new clip that I saw floating around. I mean, DiVincenzo and Brunson are best friends. That's what DiVincenzo was saying. So, you know, in a world where it's not what you know, it's who you know, and that's so much of how this front office has operated in terms of, you know, for better or worse. Uh, so far, I would say it's for better. They've operated more as a family. And if you get DiVincenzo in there, it's, yeah, add, add talent. But we will, we will be talking more about him for sure. Thank you for the contribution. Drew P, uh, thank you for the contribution as well. In your opinion, who will be the guy we trade for and when? I think it's either Giannis next offseason or Booker in two. Does having the Bucks pick matter? Uh, Bucks pick could matter. You know, I mean, it's it's so hard to tell. Like, there's a thought process of, yeah, what if the Knicks said to Milwaukee, we have your pick? Would you like it with some other things, obviously? And we want Giannis. There is, and this might seem crazy, but I genuinely believe it there is a path where the Knicks could land two additional stars 
around Jalen Brunson. What determines that is how much they're willing to spend and the timing of everything. And also which stars that they would be. I mean, they have to be complementary stars. Giannis is going to cost in this hypothetical, a very pretty penny. It's Giannis Antetokounmpo. But Giannis, two years of Giannis is very different from one year of Giannis. Uh, and one year of Giannis is very different than half a season or even less than that. Uh, and that's even different from Giannis theoretically opting in and forcing a trade like Chris Paul did with the Clippers and the Rockets. I would imagine that's not where Giannis's head is at, but it's still something to be cautious about. And that, that whole squad is aging in its thirties. Uh, and Chris Middleton's going to get a, a major contract this year, I would imagine. So something to keep in mind, but yeah, it's, it's, these two players are certainly up there, whether or not team other teams can offer a better package. I'm still really curious about the direction the Celtics go. I, if I were a betting man, I would say Jalen Brown extends and Jason Tatum extends, but, uh, and you know, I'm not a betting man anymore. Cause I lost enough money from betting that I just thought this isn't right. I mean, Josh Hart sounds like he might opt out. We'll see if that's the case. Um, you know, so who, who really knows? I would, it would really be nice if he didn't opt out because it would mess up a lot of the other things. But uh, I digress. In this case, yeah, I think those are certainly two stars to keep mind of. For me, it's certainly Booker because of how Phoenix is operating on a, hey, we're going to win for the next two to three years. Really, I guess three years. And then we'll see from there. And you never know what other team might blow it up. And in which case, the Knicks and other teams too will be ready. But the Knicks might be best positioned in terms of assets that they currently own. Uh, or have, and uh, simply being a team that wants to win. So let Dame enjoy Miami because he would not be a fit here anyway. Thank you, Drew. Sam L. Jeremy, who's your favorite Pokemon? Oh my God. <sighs> Sam, that is a great question. It's a great question. Uh, I feel like I got to go with, uh, was it? Oh, I'm going to butcher the name. I, I, it's like, bear with me. Yeah, was it? Uh, okay, this is great, great podcasting, guys. I know, um, but I, I, I need to mention him. I can't not mention him. Whirlpool. We go with Whirlpool. I don't know. I had a Whirlpool toy as a kid, and just was he was the best. Loved it. Um, I'm gonna go with him. Also, favorite color is blue. Squirtle was great too. Love Pikachu. Charizard. How could you go wrong? Bulbasaur is pretty cool. I think this is the first one. So yeah, I'm going to go with that. Andrew, do you have a favorite Pokemon? It's, so there's two different questions here. It's who's your favorite Pokemon from the show and who's ah. your favorite Pokemon from the, the Game Boy game? So like Gyarados was probably my favorite from the game. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really like Charizard because they had that bit where he like wouldn't listen to Ash. So he lost in the Pokemon games. Okay. Because of that, and it was like like a coach trying to get their star to play for them, and it just never happened. Um, but I, I think I'd go Gyarados. Um, yeah, I liked when Eevee would you'd, you'd show up to that part in the game, mm. and then you had to pick which stone to turn her into something. So we have okay. gone the whole direction off the rail. We have. I'm, I'm here for it. No, it's you know? great. I actually, I never played the games growing up. I didn't have a Game Boy, uh, but in terms of, yeah. I oh, just, you're I, younger. I forgot. You forgot you're I'm younger. I'm not that. I, I mean, but, but there was still, I mean, Pokemon games were still around when I was five years old, six years old. I just, 
you know, I didn't have blue. I didn't have gold. I didn't have red. It just, just didn't happen that way. But I just look through these names again, just really quickly. Blastoise. I had a Blastoise water toy where like the water would suck in and then it'd shoot out of, um, out of his, his, the cannons or whatever in his back. That was pretty awesome. Mm. Uh, geez, who else? Alakazam's a great one. When you had to get a psychic Pokemon, I went to Alakazam. Yes. And then, uh, oh God, I, I'll probably scroll to a new, uh, slow, uh, slow bro or slow poke. Those were always fun ones. Mm. I think I had a slow bro toy when I was a kid too. So, uh, and yeah, I mean, I played Pokemon Go. Loved it. That was a great summer. Awesome. That was, that was. it was annoying it. when like you had a, a younger brother who was in his teens and we had to stop everywhere so he could check in. Cause that's a what is it? That's a gym. That's a checkpoint. That's a that's a Pokemon Center. And it's like, no, that's that's five guys. Like, I, I, I we're good, bro. We don't have to stop everywhere. Um, yeah, the <laughs> yeah. the Game Boy. So this is this is where some of our age difference does come in because fifth grade, like you were not allowed to sit with certain people at lunch if you didn't have a Game Boy, either red or blue, and the connector that lets you play people at lunch. So it's very much like a, a, a societal or really just like a, a high school societal thing. Well, I guess at that point, elementary school thing. We went all the way off the rails to end the show. I we apologize. Did. But Sam, you inspired a Pokemon conversation and it got me excited for it. And what Love better it. way than to welcome an intruder, although a friend of the pod from Nick's Vane TV. Uh, last question for you, Jeremy. Hey, JD, JD Sports Talk. Thank you. Hey there, Nick. Oh, my fans. bad. Hold on. Oh. Re- 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 say that last part. I accidentally muted you when I meant to mute me. My bad. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> uh, JD Sports Talk, Nick's Fan TV. Thank you so much for the super chat contribution. Uh, hey there, Nick's fans. I'm here for one thing bold prediction. Don't worry. Someone will be mad anyway. Starting five after trade deadline next season. Oh, man. Honestly, I got to. I got to be consistent in terms of where I have the direction of this, this current off season. So my prediction will be Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes, Zach Levine, Julius Randall, and Mitchell Robinson. But the fascinating part of all this, and I know we, I know we talked a little bit about it on the pod and it really was like, Hey, Julius Randall talk, RJ Barrett talk. They're not moving Julius. So nothing's going to happen. And there is the RJ factor. The one thing that we didn't really get to do the best job of because of time was, okay, the Knicks do have Zach Levine. What happens if they then go in a different direction with Randall, where they say we want a more complimentary player? We want someone who's a better defender at the four. We don't need Julius Randall's pull-up ability or his shooting or the offense he brings because we get that in a guard version of that. So let's shore up the rest of our offense now, or let's show up the rest of our defense now, as opposed to the thought process that John and I were operating under, which was, look, you do it for a year, you have great offense, you, sh- you see how it shakes out, and you move. If you told me, hey, if the Knicks acquired Zach Levine and they moved Julius Randle as well for someone who does that, that's fine by me. Again, like it's for me, it's not one R- RJ or Julius. It's based on what the Knicks are building. Skeptical either really fits your long term. So, um, JD, I'm going to go with that as my five, but there is a part of me that can't help but wonder okay, is there something here? Is there 
Is there a way where if you're the Knicks, let's say the Blazers blow it up, right? Are you doing a three-team deal where Julius goes somewhere and you get Jeremy Grant? I, I honestly don't know. So I think it's honestly a bolder prediction to say that Julius stays, especially if Zach Levine's here. So I'm going to go with that as my starting five. And then I'll, I'll add on to that where Quick still is here. Hart's still here. Hartenstein's here. Deuce is here. And uh, don't think Obi's here. But I'm gonna, I don't want to say too, too much. Because again, I got a whole, I got a whole uh, cap or no cap to get through. And some of it to keep finishing. So thank you for that question, JD. Really appreciate it. Oh, another one. Okay. Uh, Dylan Ladapoulos. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. Thank you for the Super Chat uh, contribution. Is Aiton the Charizard from the TV series of the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs? Also, great show. Much love. Andrew, can you get in here? Because I did watch the shows, but I was also super young to the point where I don't have memory of the characters to that extent. So he's referring to what I'm talking about, where they did like a Pokemon Stadium games in the show. And Ash got through like it, it was like best two out of three. And the only Pokemon he had left was Charizard, who had notoriously shown like, you don't tell me what to do. I only tell me what to do. I'm not obeying my Pokemon master. And so the initial opponent that uh, Charizard went up against deemed them worthy of a battle and Charizard wiped the floor with them. And then the next, the, 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 they got down to their final two Pokemon and it was Charizard against someone else. And it was like, like Weedle or something. It was like something weak. And Charizard was like, I'm not wasting my time with this and went to sleep, which meant the forfeit and Ash lost. So that's the, that's the, the comp that Dylan's making here. Like if Aiton is Charizard of the Suns, that like, oh, you can't get him to, to, listen or pay attention to you, which is why I actually co-sign a different one from Bronx Rivera, who says, no, Julius is Charizard, <laughs> where it's like, I deem this opponent worthy of me trying and showing effort, and I'm going to go off, but I'm going to take my time when uh, uh, we're playing a different team that doesn't require me to show as much effort. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no notes. All right. No notes. We're, we're last, good. last one, by okay. the way. One more Thank you, everybody. Thank you for the super chat. Uh, one, year Levi, uh, one year of Levine, Julius, then go after Jaron Jackson Jr. Anthony, don't think I have not thought of that as well. The concern I would then have is how you go from uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Like, how does Jaron Jackson Jr. and Mitch work on the offensive level? Not from a spacing perspective, but Jaron Jackson Jr. just is not a passer, right? Like he's, it's not really what he does. He doesn't have a high, a high assist to usage ratio. Mitch, obviously similar. So there'd be a little bit of stagnant stuff there, but then it lends credence to the other thought of, okay, well, if you're the Knicks, what if you also, again, this is, this, like, this is all starting to get a little too, too out of there because how are the Knicks going to be able to afford all these pieces? But like, is there another star? Is there the Giannis angle and you use so like you deplete other players that you have other talent getting there? I, I don't know, but I don't want to get to that point in terms of the Jaron Jackson Jr. Fo- uh, focus hundred percent would love him on this team. I'm sure the Knicks would too. He matches up really nicely with what they do. Also gives you incredible uh, small ball, like or 
Jaron Jackson Jr. with the five opportunities, which provide more spacing there. But you don't have to rely on that because you can have him as a four. So it's not like, hey, we're just running a five out offenses. No, we can actually switch it up and be a little bit more versatile, which I would love. That'd be great to see. So if there were a way for the Knicks to do that, I would be very happy. And again, do I think that would be a legitimate contender? Not necessarily. But also, there's so few legitimate contenders in the NBA right now that by default, maybe they can be. Why not? So yeah, love the thought and full agreement with that one. All right. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, Please remember to like the video, subscribe to the channel, turn on notifications. If you're listening to this, would really appreciate it if you could please leave a five-star rating and a review. Um, Really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Uh, As you know, this was not the easiest of days and this was really just a perfect distraction. So um, always love talking basketball with you guys. I will be back next week in uh, multiple capacities. We will be doing a cap or no cap. We will be doing another one of this uh, for another episode of Cream. Please don't miss. Also, I'm sure we will have... Well, actually, if you you haven't heard the Steve Popper interview, go ahead and listen to that. And we've got the casuals. They've got a really exciting podcast. I mean, they always do, but an especially exciting podcast coming up this week. I'm super eager to hear it and for you guys to hear it as well. So with all that said, thank you so much. Have a great night and let's go Knicks. happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com